Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by SmartLogic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore. My name is Sandy Mitt, and I'll be your host. I'm joined by my co-host, Owen Bickford. Hey, Owen. Hey, Sandy. This season's theme is Parsing the Particulars. Today, we are joined by special guest Kate Rosentes from SimpleBet, and we'll be diving into the particulars of gen servers. Hey, Kate. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. How are you doing? Good. How are you guys? Thank you for having me. <laughs> good times. Good times. Today, actually, at SmartLogic, it's our, our professional development day. So we've been kind of jumping around learning different stuff. We made sure to oh, brush, brush up on gen servers this morning. Do you guys do anything like that at SimpleBet? Any kind of learning days? Every day is a learning day. All right. <laughs> I don't recall any professional uh, development days. I'm always learning new things. Yeah, that's super fair. I think we talk about this all the time, that the best way to actually learn a new thing is to actually do it, which is a lot of the impetus for this season. Because sometimes when you're just like, oh, I need to generically learn a thing and you pull up a project, it's like, meh, not, not super helpful. Yeah. Before we dive into the particulars of gen servers, so we met back at ElixirConf Austin. Was that your first uh, developer conference? No, actually, I've been going to programming conferences with my mother, Michelle Rosenis, or Mickey Rosenis, uh, since I was 15. So uh -huh. a lot of it was it was Ruby Conf and then Ruby on Rails, and then We Rise, and then Elixir Conf in Austin, and then Elixir Conf in Colorado. Okay, so in the past year, how many of you have you hit up? <laughs> uh, after the Austin one, the Elixir Conf in Austin, we hit one in Raleigh. I think it was called All Things Open. And my mother and I both talked there. We gave the same talk that was given at, in Austin. There's so many conferences, it's hard to keep them straight, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I have to say that Elixir Conf has by far been my favorite. Oh, nice. The conference as a series or the last one? The last one, definitely. But just both of my experiences at Elixir Conf have been good. I've met a lot of great people, and I was more familiar with the technology as well because I'm pretty new to actually programming. So. And you landed a job, right? Did that happen at Elixir Conf last year or sometime after that? Yeah, so last year, my mom, I went to the speaker dinner with my mother, and Dave Lucia was there, who works at SimpleBet. Apparently, my mother had interviewed with them three years ago, and he remembered my mom, and he was, like, super nice, and we talked to him. I was on another podcast after Austin, and he reached out to me after that and got me hired. Nice, and your episode, Kate, is coming right on the heels of Dave's episode, right. so this is just... Nice continuity. Oh, yeah. We love it. Absolutely. It's what they call synergy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. David's like one of the nicest people I've ever met. Mm -hmm. Super mm -hmm. nice. He absolutely tolerates all of my food photos, even though he's like, Sunday, please stop. These are so wonderful, but I can't eat these. <laughs> See, I, I know Dave's nice. I've met him at LuxorConf in Austin last year, but like... He'll stick out in my mind because he was, in his infinite wisdom, named his son Owen. So, ah, uh, yes, a, we did just nice talk little, about this. Yeah, Our listeners who are just going episode to episode are like, "Wow, I'm caught up here," right. <laughs> but we're episode two right now. So, yeah, with with Dave, we dove into the particulars of observability, and we're going to talk about gen servers today. Kate, this came up at ElixirConf with us. Can you just talk to us about where gen servers as a subject came from? Okay, so we were sitting down and waiting for a keynote to start. 
Was it Chris McCord's keynote? I think it was probably the keynote of the day, so it was Chris Granger. Okay. Anyway, my mom and I were just chilling at a table, and Sunday came down and sat next to us, and she asked me what I knew about gen servers, and I was like, uh, very little. <laughs> She's like, perfect. Can I teach you some? <laughs> what do you know about gen servers? <laughs> 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 I'm like, I just started. <laughs> I don't know a lot. I've done like a little bit of things. I- I've tried to learn more with them, but just not not something that has really grabbed my interest a lot in the past. Yeah, this this comes up a lot in with, you know, and for, for the background here, Kate is new to Elixir, like less than a year, right? In in that in the job space in the job i've been uh six months six months right so that's where we are right now september 2022 for those listening in the future and there's a certain number of things you hear as a as a newbie to to elixir and it can be very frustrating when you're getting started to start elixir and people are just throwing out otp ets this gen server thing and then observability and telemetry and then just, just like these words that people just throw out, like as if you're just supposed to know them when you're just picking up a language, which is, you know, just generally frustrating. Yeah. Uh, but gen servers is one of the ones that come up a lot. So, you know, I honestly do not remember sitting down just asking you point blank <laughs> about gen servers, but <laughs> let's say that's how what you, happened. <laughs> how did you recall it? <laughs> I think I asked you what you learned recently at work. Yes. Yeah, that's accurate. I was yeah. summarizing the conversation. That's fair. No, 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 that would be that would be funnier. But I, I would have felt like I was assaulting you with knowledge. <laughs> you, okay, so I think my humor. I like the really abrupt things in life. So yeah. I tell stories abruptly, and it might not sound accurate to some. Oh, people, but they're funny. Unfortunately, oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, they're funny. Like when we were we were going to take a picture with Todd. Todd was taking t- Todd Resedek was taking photos at ElixirConf, and I was like, "Oh, Kate, we should get a picture." And then Kate goes, "Todd, photo." <laughs> <laughs> and he was like was twenty like, feet away too. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, that was so aggressive!" But I love it. <laughs> well, uh, we know Todd. Todd's yes, great. Yes. And it was a great photo. And he didn't have to guess what you were asking. He's like, all right, I guess they want a photo. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> with developers, you got to be straight, yeah. straightforward, straightforward. <laughs> so we, we've kind of talked about a little bit about your background and your pathway. But just to round it out in like a, in a, uh, yeah, in, in a rounded manner, one of our engineers and one of our new podcast hosts, who's not with us right now, wanted to make sure that we asked you about your experience in the industry so far. Particularly because you two were like the only engineers that at least he saw at ElixirConf that were roughly in the same age range, experience level. So he was really curious about your experience in the industry so far. Yeah. Honestly, when I was coming in, I had heard so many horror stories about like bad communication at work and I don't know, all these tire fires. But I've had a wonderful time at Simple But so far, I've learned so much and the environment that I am I'm in is very positive. So um as far as like my reflection on my experience so far, I've really enjoyed it. Was that the specific question? Like, is that the answer to the question? Or did I go off on a rabbit trail? 
yeah, that was the answer, you know, just uh, to find out what your experience has been like, particularly as a junior engineer. And when it comes to learning, I think is maybe the more specific way to ask that. Yeah, I feel like as a junior engineer, like the biggest things, which I don't know, because I'm a junior. So when I become a senior, maybe I'll think differently. But just being able to ask questions and work a lot. Uh, I think that's where I've gained most of my experience and confidence. The biggest thing I've learned in the past month, I talk to my team lead about this all the time, is I post like all of my questions in a public channel instead of DMing people. And that has been like, I guess the biggest maturing point for me so far, because you just learn a lot more when you can formulate your question and are confident enough to post it in a public channel. Um, and, and I feel answer, safe right? doing that. Yeah. More right. people answer like people you wouldn't expect. And like, Oh, I didn't know you had like months of experience in that area of the code base. <laughs> this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. Typically if I'm asking a question, I'll post it in a public channel as well. That's kind of my default. Cause a, like I'll get a better like uh, collection of responses, but also like, if it's, you know, work-related, there'll be a little bit more visibility that, I, like, I'm working on a problem and other people on the team can kind of see what's going on. But yeah, so I'm kind of curious, if we go back a little bit to this conversation at ElixirConf, and you bring up gen servers, maybe something you're kind of either interested in or kind of coming across for the first time, what's the context, like, as much as you can share? Like, how did gen servers come up in the work that you're doing at SimpleBet? I did some work on this epic where we were working with state we were trying to manage state and that's where we were using like gen servers and otp and property tests and oh my word that was a lot i tried to read a book on it and that was okay honestly that was terrible i did not like that book <laughs> it was boring what was the book i couldn't you can throw it. it out there well it's okay i don't think it's that the book is terrible itself it's just like my ability to comprehend it i don't want to be dissing other books. It was property testing and Elixir, I think. I have it on my desk right. out here. I've got that one. Uh, property-based testing with proper and Erling or something like that? Yes. Yeah, and it's got like the pink bar across it. Pragmatic programming is most of the textbooks that my library and my mother's library consist of. We're kind of like a joint library. <laughs> so I'll just <laughs> grab books out of there. And then I tried to, (laughs) it is very convenient. And then when the books are out of date, she chucks them. So I'm not reading like bad stuff. Oh my God. I just, I'm picturing Nikki throwing the book. She's on roller skates. Her hair is flying behind her. There's a whole thing happening in my head right now. I've, I've never thought about throwing away the books when they get old, quote unquote, but that makes sense. Yeah, well, if they're outdated, she places them in the trash. Okay, so it's, it's okay, a less that's a little more dark action. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's. I don't think it's a diss. It's you know constructive criticism that books are something to help us. They're a resource mm-hmm. to help us. If they don't help us, then you know th- that's fine. Some of us aren't book people. Sometimes it's like literally marketed towards a senior engineer or somebody who's worked in Elixir for a long time. So, yeah, that's fine. So you tried reading the book, didn't work. Where did you go next? I no longer had to work on the maintaining the state. So it was a senior programmer that had said he read the book 
and I had known nothing about that area of Elixir, so that's why I got the book. And he said it had taken him a long time to get through, and it was going to take me an even longer time to get through. Yeah. And, uh, I just didn't. <laughs> Those so, books, sometimes you got to get it at the right time. Like, like yeah. that book, I think I've taken a couple of, t- of attempts to get started with it and like kind of put it aside and then, you know, worked a little bit more with Elixir, got more experience, and like got more of the kind of the fundamental pieces of Elixir and then came back to that. And a lot of things started making sense, you know, after the second or third attempt. So that's completely normal, you know. What I'm curious, Owen, since you, I think, have worked with Gen Servers maybe the most amongst the three of us here, mm-hmm. is the most often use case that you see for somebody having to write their Gen Server because it doesn't come up very often in an application. Is it to manage state? To manage something within the state of the application? Is that why we normally reach for a Gen Server? I think there's a few use cases for gen servers. Uh, there's managing state. You can manage state with an agent. So these are all just, I think, at a high level, these are all just different types of uh, processes within an Elixir application on the Beam VM. So you can use an agent if you're just managing state. A gen server also kind of helps you kind of uh, constrain if you want a bottleneck. Sometimes you want a bottleneck like to serialize messages, make sure they're coming in in a, in a specific order. So a gen server can help with that. It can also hurt you if you don't want that bottleneck. Uh, so that's that's kind of like an edge, not an edge case, but like a kind of a thing to know about gen servers is if you if you're trying to flow a lot of data through a gen server concurrently, that can like kind of slow down your application. Uh, but yeah, I think um, owning like an ETS table is how I've used it primarily. Uh, so I will start using the Elixir in action example actually. So. I would. I wanted to create an ETS table for like in-memory data storage, and uh, the way that I kind of managed that ETS table was with a Gen server. So it would, whenever the application would start up, it would start up the Gen server, and the Gen server would start the ETS table, and that way they're kind of linked processes. And if something goes wrong, the Gen server goes down, and it can be restarted by the supervisor. Yeah, and I think that that something goes wrong piece is is kind of key. That's the mm-hmm. only time I've ever built one was for an application that needed to handle state for when the application went down and when it came back. The results of the the application state after being down for five to ten minutes would mean that everything was very out of sync in terms of like we were tracking statuses. So if something was ready or not ready and it wasn't exactly based on time, but it kind of was. So if it went down for 30 minutes or an hour, you know, God forbid application goes down that long, you had to be able to, when the application came back up, run something to go back through and check to see if things were actually in the state that we said we were in or if they needed to be updated per a few rules. And so the best place to add that logic was in a gen server because it happened at the top of the application is how I thought of that. So I actually did it wrong the first time and brought the entire application down because I didn't um, manage that part of the tree properly because it was right at the top, but right at the beginning. I don't think anyone really normally is messing with that file that's like right at the top of the application. I can't even remember what it's called. Oh, and if you know it, just application talk over me. EX, yeah, that, that, that could be it. <laughs> yeah so like one thing i wanted to say like right out as we're kind of starting to get a little bit more into the particulars is you can go a long way without needing to know how gen servers work like if you're 
primarily working in like Phoenix and you're working in controllers and templates and you're kind of like more at the front end slash full stack. Like if you're kind of more on that end of things, you're not necessarily going to need to touch a gen server. Uh, it is a little bit more of a backend piece of, of an Elixir application. But before I get to the next point, does anyone know what gen server stands for? The G, the gen engine server. I just read it, but Kate, I want to hear your guesses. <laughs> Do you want me to guess at it? Yeah, if you yeah, don't know it, go ahead there. and just throw one out there. Uh, generating servers. <laughs> it's so close. I mean, that is super close. <laughs> is yeah, it generation generic. server? Oh, generic. Okay. It's like generic because it's like it's like it's a, so you'll see that in a lot of different uh, Elixir modules, like Gen something, like Gen state. It's like these are generic pieces, and they can be used. For very for very different types of problems, so like like I said earlier, like it, I used it primarily for uh, setting up ETS tables. Sunday's used it for kind of managing errors and flow control in some ways, but there are like are at least a dozen different ways you could use a Gen server, and uh, yeah. So just to kind of say that out of the gate, like you don't necessarily have to start uh, as a brand new day one Elixir developer knowing anything about Gen servers. It's something you can learn about months or years later. You know, depending on the needs of your particular job and what you're doing. But yeah, so I'm curious, do you have an idea of like what kind of problem you might be working on where you think you might need to open up the gen server docs and like, you know, maybe start adding a gen server to your application? Or maybe like the real world example is they told you that yeah. you had to do the gen server work. Did they explain why it needed to be a gen server? Or like what the situation would be that that made, made sense to reach for that? Hmm. Without divulging uh, proprietary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I'm you not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I don't know how to apply it to our system, to be honest. No, I don't. That's totally fine. I can so, think of like a school project that I did that I might reach for a gen server, but not like a real life work example. How? That's even more interesting. Would it, how... <laughs> What? A school project? Seriously? <laughs> yeah. In school, I, I went to NC State. It's an engineering college. And I was in the engineering college, the computer science program. And it was, uh, we were working with finite state machines. And I was supposed to create a ticketing system to someone submits like a work order and you track the ticket as it goes through. I would guess that I would need a gen server for that, or I could use one, but I could be wrong too. So I don't know. I'd open up the docs and see if I was right. Yeah, yeah. So you could absolutely use a gen server to kind of take in, let's say these are like events that are coming through your system of like someone's created a ticket or they've updated a ticket and the gen server could like receive those events and then either in its internal state, like this is like process memory, they could keep all of that data there or they could, like if you start to need like more concurrent applications, if you got like thousands of users hitting the thing at the same time, then maybe you would move that data into like ETS or something okay. a little bit more concurrent so that uh, like the calls come through gen server, but then they're actually kind of being handed off to ETS and that kind of thing. Would it create a different process for each user? It's generic. So you can set it up to be, so yeah, if, if you wanted a gen server, you could have like a user's gen server, which would be a bottleneck. So like if you had a bunch of users hitting that one Zen server, it would kind of force them into like a serial, like, you, you know, 
person A might be blocking person B from their updates, okay. you know, if the system running mm -hmm. slowly. Uh, or you might break up your, like you might build a gen server per user. I think that's another thing you could do. So that actually kind of raises, I think, a point I was struggling to remember what I was going to make. <laughs> so have you done any work with LiveView? Oh, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you, you've built, I'm sure, a LiveView or like done some edits on a LiveView at some point? Yeah. Earlier when Sunday was talking about how the gen server automatically like reconnects or whatever, I was like, suck it. That's what I was thinking. Right. I didn't know yeah, if yeah. that's where you were going. So not socket specifically, but what's interesting is, and I'm just going from memory here, but if I remember correctly, live views are essentially like a kind of a wrapper of a gen server. So when you're writing a live view, a lot of the syntax, like the handle error, handle info, like all those callbacks you can use, those are very, very similar to what you do with a gen server. So if you think of like the live view process, like anyone who connects to your web app, and uh, like you render this live view, you know, that's a process. Those and are gen server functions. Right. Handle yeah, so info and handle call. Handle call. Well, handle cast, handle call. Uh -huh. Those are some uh, gen server callbacks. I believe handle info, handle, handle event, maybe live view specific. I definitely don't, don't have a book in front of me. You see nothing. <laughs> There's nothing here. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, and I've got the docs open. Like, so yeah, I always keep the docs open if I'm trying to sound smart about something. <laughs> but uh, you heard it yeah. here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> the docs are always open. Yeah. So I think handle event is specific to Live View, but you'll see like handle cast, handle call, handle info. Those are very similar to things you do within a Live View. So that that to me, like once I had worked with LiveView and then I was trying to understand gen servers, everything made a lot more sense because writing LiveView code is a lot like writing uh, gen server code in some ways. Okay, but where is the okay? Where is the callback coming from? Like when you're on LiveView, you're using handle info or handle event. Handle event is like I use that with PubSub or handle info. Something right. is coming from the web. Where does the callback come from with a gen server? So callbacks in Elixir are defined by behavior. So we're going to throw a lot, a lot of, a lot of words here. So it's okay if, if, like, it took me forever to understand some of these words anyway. So uh, anytime you're saying like use Phoenix view at the top of your LiveView module, like that's kind of Im implicitly using a something called a behavior. So like if you were to look at the LiveView source code, you would see like at behavior phoenix.liveview, I think. And then you'll see like at callback, handle info, and then it describes like what types of arguments you can pass into a handle info function. So a callback is just kind of another word for function that's kind of uh, prescribed by, by the behavior you're using without defining the actual implementation. So, so for the question of like where it comes from, I think it's just that the functions are there out of the box as a part of gen server. Yeah, if we're talking about gen server, whenever you say use gen server, those callbacks, handle info, handle cast, handle call, those are coming from the gen server module. Yeah, so six callbacks are automatically defined, and that includes the handle call, the handle cast, handle info, terminate code change, and then the one that everyone uses when they're actually building a gen server, which is init. Right. <laughs> yeah. Good old init. Does that make sense? Kind of, but 
Those those six callbacks, when are they called? So like, let's you start with a knit. Yeah. Yeah, so let's just do with gen servers just to keep it out of oh, <laughs> without conflating okay. live view and gen servers. I'll, I'll yeah. try to simplify okay. it here. So with gen server, so let's say we're going to write a new like let's say let's write a ticket gen server in our mind, okay? So a def module uh ktap dot tickets. Uh so at the, you know, second or third line you're going to have like use uh gen server. And then if you write no more code, Elixir LS is going to tell you you've like it's going to underline squigglies under gen server because you haven't implemented a couple of required callbacks. So I think the first one would be uh-huh. init. Start so, link is first. Well, yeah, typically you'll you'll implement start link. It's not a required callback though. So like right. start link, you don't it's optional. You don't necessarily have to write it unless you want to override like the default behavior. But init would be I believe it's required and. So, I think it's just init. Yeah, and it takes one argument, uh, and you can use that argument. So it could be a keyword list, uh, it could be a struct, it could be a map, like whatever, like however you want to send data into that tickets gen server is that's the type of data that uh, init would receive whenever it's starting up or initializing is what that stands for. So uh, then, if, like if you look at the docs for gen server dot init. Uh, it shows you that it can accept whatever kind of term as its argument, and then it can return either like OK tuples with like OK and like the state of the gen server. I can return like a timeout. Uh, it can return stop or ignore. There's a couple of different ways it can respond whenever it starts up. That's the very first step of like starting a gen server is just writing that init command, figuring out like if you want it to receive data as it's starting up. So you would use that maybe to like populate like some example ticket data or like to decide, you know, the structure of the, like, do you want to use a list for all of your records? Do you want to put things in a map? That kind of thing. So that's like your, that's your first maybe five minutes of a gen server is just writing in it, figuring out how you want it to start and what type of data it should receive. Okay. Does it also store that data? Yeah. So so it could, you could either kind of ignore the data, like just underscore that argument inside of a net or Let's say if, if it's important data that you want to actually use in the gen server. Um, so like when your application is starting, you would say like, you know, inside of your children, you would say gen, like ktap.tickets, comma. And this is where usually you'll see like empty list of like nothing's being passed in there. So it's giving it like its default uh, init argument. But then uh, whenever... Like, so if you wanted to pass in like some other options, you know, from the application module, that's where you do it. You would just say uh, ktap.tickets. And then inside of that list, you might put like kate is cool, you know, true or whatever, you know, whatever makes sense there. And I'm then saying this because Kate's wearing a hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Simple butt colors. Thank you. Thank you for recognizing that. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, so I don't want to get bogged down in init, but like that's where like whatever type of data you want that gen server to like require on startup, that's where you would pass it in. So you might tell it like which type of struct it needs or like options f- to configure the thing so it runs in a s- specific way. And then from that point, like once your gen server starts with your application, or even if you start it later on, then like it can receive messages. So like from any other process, like you could have a, a pub sub that uh, subscribes to gen server or sends messages to a gen server. But uh, 
like anytime you want to send messages to your gen server, you're basically saying either process.send or there's a bunch of different ways to do it, but you would do like gen server.call or gen server.cast. And then you would send messages over to the gen server. And then, so call, the difference between call and cast is call will, like if you have a function that says gen server.call, it's going to wait for that response from the gen server. Uh, which sometimes you want to wait for that response, like because you need to, like you need that result so you can like do something with it. Other times, if you're just like say incrementing a counter and you don't necessarily need to know the new value, then you can do cast, and then your application, like your controller or whatever, can keep on moving, doing whatever else it needs to do without waiting for that gen server to do its math. So many parts of our code base are starting to make sense to me right now. <laughs> That's awesome! Yay! <laughs> that was the goal. <laughs> so since it's starting to click now, I'm I'm curious if you kind of made some of these connections because we were talking about how that works with LiveView. And I'm curious if you are using LiveView personally or at work in any projects, just to give us some context. I use a lot of LiveView when I was doing my little boot camp in my mom's basement. That was like three months of going through Sophie DeBendito's book, mm-hmm. Programming Phoenix Live View. And I've done multiple tickets where I'm working with the Live View at Simple Bet. Yeah, I highly, highly, highly recommend her talk and her uh, Lixer School article on PubSub and Presence. Like I watched that a few times because I was struggling to understand those things, you know, even before I was tackling gen server stuff. And just watching those a couple times hearing her like very clear explanations of like, and like clear examples also of like, here's an example of, of a user pub sub and presence and like sending events over pub sub and that kind of thing. A lot of things started clicking whenever I was watching her talk. So I need to watch that talk, but she also covers that in her book, which that book is very solid. Even if you're trying to learn Phoenix, she goes over so much. Yeah. Not just is, live view. Is that book at this point in time out of beta like can you physically buy a copy like a physical copy or is it updating so fast every day that they can't release a physical copy yet no i think that she just like i think they three months after i started working at simple bet i don't remember uh they have a physical copy out now i believe but if you buy it once if you download it once you can get every update i just want to know if i can add it to my shelf (laughs) I would love to have that on my shelf. Exactly. Yeah, that would be a great book to have on display. I think they're. I think they are going to be doing another big update now that uh, LiveView 0.18 is out today. Phoenix, yes. Today, day of recording, 18 came out. <laughs> Zero point 18. So yeah, they've got a little bit of uh, tweaking to do. I think like they were working on it over the summer, but Bruce is on a boat. Sophie's. <laughs> Uh, like I think they were just kind of holding because there was so, so much change happening in live view uh, with props and adders. It does and, not look like the thing. first edition physical book has been released yet. So maybe soon, now that we're getting in more solid territory. Right. Sweet. So one thing I was uh, thinking about, like to illustrate understanding what a gen server does is how would you test a gen server? Oh, yeah. Have you? So, did you get into any testing when you were kind of going through that project as as a starting point or where they said they, they you wanted that it should end at? The project was testing the state management stuff. Oh, sorry, so were you writing a gen server to test the state or 
were you writing gen servers? And then your particular ticket was to test the gen server. That's a great question that <laughs> I would struggle to answer. Okay, no, that fine. is where I got introduced to property tests. So if property tests use gen servers, then yes. But I have no idea what I'm talking about. So welcome to the party. Yeah, yeah. So look, you know, yeah, we've all had that day. So, so the reason I bring up testing is so like at, at a high level, without thinking about a specific gen server, we'll stick with the ticket example here. But I think the very first things you would test would be like so. I've I've got my Kate's cool dot Kate's app dot tickets gen server. And I'm going to write a test to, like, what do I want to know about the gen server? A, I want, to, I want to make sure it starts correctly. So if I'm starting it manually, I want to test that. Or if I know it's starting with the application, I want to make sure that it's running when the application starts. And then basically once it's running, all your testing is, like, does the gen server receive messages? And then does it return responses, like if I'm doing a call? Or like if I'm doing a cast, it should return Okay. If I'm sending like a call into Gen Server, it should return a response. And then, so like inside of your like X unit test, uh, this will be like a unit test. So you would say you'd have a test that like tickets dot new ticket returns a response. And then, so inside of that test, you're going to write like tickets dot new ticket, and you're going to give it like a map or whatever attributes, right? And then on another line, you're going to write assert receive. And that's a, so that's like a process assertion. Like it's going to wait for, so the test is going to wait for this gen server to send a response. And you're going to say, I want the response to look like this. It's probably going to be a tuple that says like no reply with like the new ticket or maybe a list of tickets or whatever. And then you can either allow it to wait up to 100 milliseconds, which is the default, or you can allow it to wait a little bit longer, which might slow your test down. But it might fix a broken test there. So that's like kind of what I had in mind of like, that's kind of how you would see, like, is your test, is your gen server doing what it's supposed to do? Is it starting correctly? Is it sending sending the correct responses back? And you do that with assert receive. Or you could do what I did, which is just put it where it doesn't, the gen server you write doesn't work, put it in your supervision tree and just watch it all implode. Yeah. <laughs> right. Implosion-driven development. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, point here first. <laughs> so one thing that Sunday said in the beginning that was great about gen servers is that if they die on accident, they reboot back up. Excuse my terminology. I know my jargon isn't correct. But could you test that? Can you test that? That's a fair question. In a magical world, you could, but I don't know if this is that world. Yeah, so if let's start with the example where like your let's say your tickets gen server needs to start with your application. So in that case inside of your application ex file, like you're going to have a list of children that's you know it's always there by default. So then you would add a new row that says like you know, like it's a tuple that says like ktap.tickets with that like empty list or like whatever data you want to send it for initialization. So whenever the application starts, your tickets gen server should come up. And then if you want to like test that it restarts after like a failing inside of your X unit test, uh, you'd write another test and then you would say like, refresh my memory here, but I think you can just call gen server stop. And then you can give it a reason. You can, so you can tell it to stop with a normal reason, which is like, it'll 
it'll stop and then it should I think it'll automatically restart. But this actually is a little bit more dependent on how your supervisor is configured. So if your supervisor is supposed to restart the process, which I think is like the default behavior, then your test, you would say genserver.stop, you know, my gen server. And then you might sleep for a, a second and then like assert that like gen server is back online. So yeah, you would probably do like, first you would do genserver.stop, wait a second, and then do like genserver.whereis. And that would kind of tell you that the gen server started back up again with a new process. And for more resources on this particular subject, there is, I just checked, a section in the Testing Elixir book by Jeffrey Mathias and Andre Leopardi of test, how to test a gen server. And I think it's like a whole chapter of testing OTP, but it might be like a section specifically dedicated to gen server. I know a lot of people have that book, so I just wanted to shout that out there. Can you say the name of the book one more time? Testing Elixir. Are they paying you? <laughs> no, but my name is on the commission. back of the book. <laughs> How'd you manage that? I did a review. I did a speed read, so which is why I don't remember this exact uh, section very well. But I've been slowly reading it all the way through, just like, again, because I love testing. It's fun. <laughs> I like checking my <laughs> work. Organized. I was that kid in school. <laughs> it's fun when they pass. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean... When it's the test's fault, that's not fun. Like if you wrote the test poorly. Right. When it's your code not working, like I love that. I want to see why that's right. not happening the way I think it is. So really into testing. Jeffrey asked me to review the book when he found out I was really into testing. I'm with you, Sunday. I found some test files that were messy and I'm like, I just want to organize these. Uh -huh. And so I've been organizing test files and I enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> I love order. I love order. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it makes me want to throw chaos at you somehow, but I don't know how to do that. <laughs> okay, well, you know, like, I'm in my room, and this is the only clean spot in my room. So there's some things that I'm okay with not order. But when it comes to my test files, I like order. All right. Well, we'll have to let Jeffrey know you said that. <laughs> Just... Generally speaking, I just wanted to get a feel for, you know, we've done a little bit of a deep dive into gen servers today. Do you see yourself using them more in the future? Are there aspects of our conversation today that you can maybe apply to other pieces of the Elixir application process for the way you code? I'm just thinking of how we can make that broader as a skill set. Okay, so can I... Am I less scared to use it now? Do I, am I more familiar with it now? Oh, Do I feel like I can ask questions about it now? I love yes. that. That's not what I asked, but I will I will take it. That is a way better question. <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to like translate your question, answer your question with a question. Yes. But <laughs> are you less scared of using gen servers now? Let's go. <laughs> I'm less timid. I would... I feel like if I was working on a project and I need to know like the type of tools I'm going to use, I would know better when to use a gen server. I feel like I could go and do a project with a gen server now. I don't think I would have done that before this conversation, but now I'm really interested. So it's awesome for me. I noticed that I am more of a verbal learner. Like I like talking about things with people and then I go do it. I know people who can just read docs after docs and then go do a project and they're totally intrigued. But 
I like having conversations about things and doing projects. That's interesting because most people will say that if they're a verbal learner, that they're like a visual, like they need to watch a video versus just talking about it. So do you learn better by talking about it? 100%. Huh. Okay. That might be a first for me. But no, I totally get that because Owen actually sat there and like had to illustrate a fake application off the top of his head. What was the Kate Cool app? Yeah. Right. And I love that. Yeah. You have to like it form it. Yeah. You have to form it in your head. I, yeah, that's interesting. That's really cool. Well, how many extroverts do you like true extroverts do you know in the programming community? I feel like programmers tend to be introverts. I'm very be, yeah. extroverted. Todd, photo. <laughs> Case in point. I do think, like, so I think people at ElixirConf are maybe a little bit more extroverted than they normally would be. Yeah. Like, I find myself being a little bit more extroverted around other uh, engineers and developers. I extroverted like, at ElixirConf. Right, yeah, because, like, I can't talk about sports or, like... Like the kind of normie topics necessarily, but like talk I'm about a sports you know, betting company, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I can sit back and I'll be the audience for that conversation. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm really happy to hear that things are maybe clicking a little bit uh, with Gen servers. I know it's something that like it took me like I was writing a lot of Elixir code over the years, and then kind of putting off gen servers. Like you have to do this sometimes. You can't learn everything at once. So kind of like being selective about what you learn and like when you learn it, it totally makes sense. Uh, otherwise you kind of get burnt out. So, uh, so yeah. yeah, I think one thing I just wanted to point to uh, before we wrap up gen server talk is there's a really important section in the docs about when not to use a gen server. So I think the, the thing, one of the gotchas is people will kind of use it. I think especially coming from Ruby like you might have like a user's gen server and a tickets gen server and like a blogs gen blog articles gen server, like for every type of data. And that's not how you want to use a gen server. But I'll let the docs explain that better than I can in the remaining minutes we have. Yeah. Here. I just didn't want to let us go without addressing Kate's hot topic, hot take, is that we uh, both moved this year. I didn't know you moved, Kate. Talking about yeah, managing well, state. You moved states? Right. <laughs> Managing. No, I did not. Oh, move state. man, Owen, you're really rough. Good, off. good pun. You're learning. Wow. <laughs> People are l- watching Talking me in my evolution and the jokes right on the podcast. Kate, please take it away. <laughs> okay. Well, wait. We just need to stop there. Dad jokes. All right. Hold up. Do you guys? Were you guys there for Chris McCord's talk? There's like forty minutes. There's forty minutes of like tech issues, and they started going around the room telling dad jokes. Thirty-five minutes, not counting. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there. I was there. Anyway, I had to walk out of the room. I was, I was crying. <laughs> I was laughing so hard. My team was behind me, and I'm sure they're like, "This, she's laughing too hard at this." I had to walk out of the room and get myself back together. That's so great. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and I started the dad jokes channel at our work. Nice. That's all I had to say. Well, so did you <laughs> move states or not? To get it, get back to the, I didn't. the question. Okay. I lived at my parents' house my whole life, and I just moved out on my own for the first time. So I'm five minutes down the road from them. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. That's simple, but It's life. a big move. Yeah. Whole five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's the way to do it. I wouldn't do anything big. That's not in these times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. 
And so you're what struggling with over decorating, under decorating, because uh, decorating gets expensive. Yeah, I know. And you know, my dad's always telling me you got to make a good investment into this, like a washer and dryer. You're gonna use it for ten years. I'm like, no. Aren't you renting? Please, Please no. Tell me you're renting. I am renting, okay. but it didn't come with a washer and dryer, so I had to go get one. Right. And like beds and couches, but those are like all if you get like solid, like a solid bed or a solid couch mm-hmm. or a solid washer and dryer. Oh my word, two thousand yes. dollars on each of those, and I'm that's minimum. Mm-hmm. I was told <laughs> when I first got my first job, uh, right out of college, I had interned at a place, and then I was talking with all my coworkers. I was about to start there full time. They were like, "Sunday, if you're gonna invest in one thing, get a really good mattress. That's where you're gonna spend half your life." You know, get like don't don't skimp on the mattress. It's you know, and I start looking at mattresses. I was like, guys, they're like two thousand dollars. They said, yeah, don't skimp on your mattress. And I was like, okay, that was the worst advice I ever took. When you go to a mattress store and you try out the mattresses, and they always seem soft and like they're going to be great. Like, yes, they'll take them back, but those things are really heavy. I, I was stuck with that mattress that was thousands of dollars for years because I couldn't make myself get rid of it. And then when I moved to this house, I was I had to suddenly furnish this house really quickly. And I got a Costco mattress for $300, and it's the best thing I've ever slept on. 100%. Just saying. I have a very similar story. Like, you don't have to get a cheap Costco. mattress. Costco's good quality. But you don't have to spend thousands. And they just made me think I had to spend thousands for thousands' sake. So my life yeah. advice, don't spend $2,000 on a mattress. Thank you. Yes, I Costco was where I got my mattresses, and I ordered them in. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah. yeah, that's the only well, way to do it. You, you can't. Can also, I don't think you can go yeah. to pick them up usually. Actually, I picked one up from Costco, and then the other one I ordered off of Amazon, but it was the same brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, Costco has solid mattresses. But definitely, just huge congratulations on. Well, this is our first time talking to you on the podcast, so congratulations on your job. Congratulations on your new apartment. You did a lightning talk, so congratulations on that. And you also you were the the uh, spokesperson for Simple Bets sponsor talk, so congratulations on that. We just had to get it all out there right here at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We actually had someone apply at Simple Bet, and they said that my talk was a motivator for them, and I was like, "Wow, oh, that's the I love best. that." So that's what you. I was hear, so yeah. happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you have any, you know, this is your time. Do you have any final plugs or asks of the audience? Are you hiring at SimpleBet? Anything you want to just shout out there? As an Elixir influencer, as you <laughs> <Yes>. are. <laughs> we are hiring at SimpleBet, so please apply. We have a bunch of positions of open engineering, some on the business side, and some on the trading side. We have one other side that I forgot. I was looking at the business page yesterday. And... I guess as a junior developer, I would just say, don't be afraid to ask questions. Ask as many questions as possible. Try and figure out the answer on your own first, but don't be afraid to ask questions and please post in public channels. Yes. That's all I got to say. And you ask great questions today. So, you know, we're all, we're all here for the, for the journey and the learning. So thank you, Kate. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, that's it for today's episode of Elixir Wizards. Thanks again to our guest, Kate Rosentes, for joining us. I'm Sundimian, and my co-host is Owen Bickford. Elixir Wizards is produced by Hangar Studios and is brought to you by SmartLogic. Here at SmartLogic, we build custom web and mobile software. We work in Elixir, Rails, React, Flutter, and more. Need a piece of custom software built? Hit us up.
Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Your reviews help us reach new listeners. And you can find us on Twitter at SmartLogic or join the Elixir Wizards Discord. The link is on the podcast page. And see you next week for more on Parsing the Particulars. Parsing the Particulars.